0: Judges chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 6 through 12. This goes back into the history of the people of Israel, the time of Moses and Joshua, his successor. And they have uh, come into the land of promise, the land that God wanted them to have. And uh, this is the end of Joshua's days, and here's what the Bible says. In Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 12, it says, And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath Heres in the mountain of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. Not the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil the sight of the Lord and served the bonds and they forsook the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of all the people who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Father we pray this morning that Our hearts will be open to receive, Lord, the burden of your heart, the weight of your heart this morning. I pray that there will be a release into our lives of what you want to speak to us this morning. Give us ears that can hear and eyes that can see and hearts that can receive, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been carrying this message for quite some time in my heart, just waiting to release it. I want to speak to us about legacy about spiritual legacy that each of us receive and each of us transmit or pass on to generations to come. Joshua, as we just read, was a man who succeeded Moses and he brought the people of Israel into the land of promise. And he was the one who stood up and he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in response to that challenge, the entire nation of Israel said, we also will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the entire nation followed after that. But here in the book of Judges is a very sad story about Israel's history. That after Joshua died and all the elders who were with him, after they passed away, a new generation arose. The Bible says they didn't follow after God. They didn't know the God of Israel. And they went aside after other gods. Forsook the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Following after other gods. What a sad story. That something like this would happen. Right after one of the greatest leaders of Israel passed off the scene. And so this bears to us, brings to us the importance of properly stewarding the legacy that God entrusts to every generation. Whether you realize it or not, there is a responsibility sitting upon you as a man and a woman of God who has had an encounter, who has had an experience with Jesus. And that responsibility is for you to properly steward what God has entrusted to you To the generation that is coming after you and following you in your steps. And God forbid that somehow in our excitement of enjoying experiencing all that God has for us. That we fail to successfully leave behind a legacy. And steward the legacy safely into the hands of the generation that is following after us. Because if we fail to do it, then history will repeat itself. What was written here in the book of Judges about the people of Israel. Them forsaking the God of, uh, of their fathers will be repeated again in our lives. Although we personally had a powerful encounter and had a rich experience with God. Because we failed to transmit the legacy entrusted to us. And that's the burden of God's heart. And I want to communicate to us this morning. That God's heart is for a lineage. He's looking not for church members. He's not looking for big churches and great congregations and great communities of Christians. He is looking for a household. He's looking for a family. He's looking for a lineage of generations of people who will consistently, constantly inherit their spiritual legacy and then extend it and then transmit it so that Generation after generation will seek and follow the Lord their God. Amen. I don't think our great congregations impress God very much. I don't think our great churches impress God very much. Because God is not interested in great congregations. He's not interested in great communities. He is interested in a household of faith. He's interested in a family. He's interested in men and women of God who follow his heart. And then who successfully transmit it to the generations that come after them. This is what drew God to Abraham. In Genesis the 18th chapter, the 19th verse. God speaks about Abraham and he says, For I know him. God is saying, this is something I know about Abraham. What do I know about Abraham? God says, I know him. That he will guide or order or direct his children after him. That they might follow me. God says this is something I know about Abraham. That he's a man. If I entrust something to him. He will make sure that not only he follows it. But those who come after him in his household will also follow it. I know him. And I am persuaded that this is one of the many reasons why God chose Abraham. I will make him the father of faith. Because he will guide his children after him. He will be a good steward of everything that I entrust to him. He will make sure that he passes it on to the generations that come after him. And God taught his people to do that in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 6 and 7. He says, the words that I've given to you, the words that I've committed to you, I want you to diligently teach it to your children. Talk about it when you sit down in your house. When you walk by the way. When you go outside. When you come in. When you sleep. And when you wake up. Talk about my word. Because I want to make sure that your children receive what I have taught you. God gave that to Moses. And somewhere along the line, by the time Joshua and those leaders passed off the scene, they failed to do it. And so off went the nation of Israel after other gods. So this is the heart of God that I want you and I to grasp this morning. That God is looking not for great church attenders, great church members. But he's looking for people who will steward carefully the spiritual legacy that has been given to them. The word of God and the anointing of God. And will steward it such that they will pass it on to the generation that follows after them. That is what God is looking for. He's looking for a household of faith. And he's promised to do his part. In Isaiah 54 and verse 13, and these are again familiar scriptures. In Isaiah 54 and verse 13, God says, He gives this promise. He says, all your children will be taught by the Lord and they will have great peace. God is saying, I am going to get personally involved in this process. If you will be faithful to pass on the legacy, what you have inherited. If you will be faithful to pass it on, God says, I will make sure that all your children are taught by the Lord. And that they have great peace. In fact in Isaiah 59 and verse 21 he continues. He says you know as for me says the Lord this is my covenant with you. My word that is in your mouth and my spirit that is upon you will pass on to your children and to your children's children. See this is God's heart the revelation that He releases to one generation, the anointing that He releases to one generation, He does not want it to stop there. He wants it to be transmitted. He wants it to be passed on to the next generation and even on to the generations that follow after. Amen. This is the heart of God. My word that is in your mouth and my spirit that is upon you will go on to your children and to your children's children. God says I'll get involved in that process. But the call to you and me this morning is this. There is a spiritual legacy that we must inhabit and we must transmit very carefully. We must learn to be stewards good stewards of what God has given to us. And we see this as a biblical pattern throughout scripture. And many examples that you and I can talk about. About Abraham Isaac and Jacob. You know God says God didn't say, I am the God of Abraham. Full stop. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am God of each of these generations. I am identified with each generation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Because Abraham was faithful to guide his children after him. To leave behind a legacy that they would walk in it. We see this in Moses and Joshua. God entrusted Moses with a great mandate, with a great anointing, but he did not want it to cease right there. He didn't say, this is only for Moses and nobody else can enjoy it. But he said, Moses, I want you to build up Joshua. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter, I'm just giving you one reference. In Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 28, the Lord says to Moses, he says, I want you to command Joshua. I want you to encourage him. I want you to strengthen him. For he will go over before this people and he will cause them to inherit the land which you will see. He says, Moses, I'm putting upon you a responsibility not only to have brought these people out of the out of the land of Egypt and up until this point, but Moses, I am now entrusting you with responsibility to pass this on to Joshua because he is going to carry this baton. He is going to run with this in the next generation. So I want you to strengthen him. I want you to encourage him. In fact, I want you to lay your hand upon him and impart into him the anointing and the wisdom that I put in you Moses. I wanted to continue in Joshua. And that's exactly what happened. We see patterns of this in the life of Elijah and Elisha. During that time in Israel, it's very interesting to know that Samuel, the prophet, he began this whole movement, the prophetic movement in the land of Israel. After all, the preceding judges, Samuel came on the scene. And it was during his time that Samuel established schools in different towns, major towns throughout Israel, where he trained and raised up prophets. And it's very likely that Elijah came out of one of the schools of Samuel as a prophet. And he was a great prophet of God, moving into a realm probably far beyond Samuel himself. But he came out of one of Samuel's prophetic schools of the prophets. And he moved into a realm where even kings would shake and fear. He moved into a realm where he could stand with with the hundreds of the prophets of Baal and called on fire from heaven. Elijah really broke through. He took that whole thing into a new realm. Far beyond the founder, Samuel. And in all the schools of the prophet, there was another young man. Now, there were many young people. But there was another young man, Elisha. He decided that he's going to receive his spiritual legacy from Elijah. That was his decision. I want to receive what Elijah has. And not only that, I wanted times two. He said, I want to be better. I want to move into a higher realm. I want to move into a greater realm than my father, Elijah. Spiritually speaking. And you know the story. How Elijah was able to receive a double portion from Elijah. And he took it to a totally new realm. Twice as many miracles in the land of Israel in his lifetime. So is it possible? It is. Samuel, Elijah, Elijah, each generation just taking it up to a new level. The legacy continued. We see it in the New Testament. And many examples. But Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he just makes this one statement about Timothy's personal life. He says, Timothy, I know the faith that is in you. But I also realize it didn't just come from yourself. It came, it began in your grandmother, Lois. And then it was in your mother, Eunice. And it is now found in you. Timothy, I know the legacy of your life. I know that this faith was in your grandmother, passed on to your mother, and it's now in you. And God supernaturally sent Paul into Timothy's life. Paul nurtured Timothy, mentored him, and helped shape and mold him into an apostle of the faith in the New Testament. But where did Timothy receive his spiritual legacy? His primary source was from what was passed on from his grandmother to his mother and now in his life. And God added to it through the life of Paul. Paul nurtured Timothy and made him an apostle of God. So we see biblical patterns of spiritual legacy passing on from generation to generation. And this is what I believe God wants to impress on you and me. It is not sufficient to come and attend church and just be a church member. There's a responsibility sitting on your shoulders to be a recipient. Of this legacy. Of the faith of people already gone ahead of us. For us to extend it. For us to add to it. The revelation anointing. And then successfully transmit it on to the generations that are following us. Now in the Bible we also see failures. Very tragic failures. Like what we read in the book of Judges. These people had one of the finest leaders of Israel. Joshua. And others were with him. But somehow something collapsed between that generation and the generation that came after them. It is very likely that Joshua and his generation failed to do what Moses had done for him. That's very likely. They failed to steward into the hearts and lives of the generation that came after them what God had entrusted to them. And so this tragic story that these people Forsook the God of their fathers. Another tragic account is that of the prophet Samuel himself. I just mentioned him to you. A great man of God. The man who really brought in the prophetic into the nation of Israel. Because if you know Samuel's beginnings... The Bible in, 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 in 1 Samuel chapter 2 says that when Samuel was a young boy, his mother entrusted him to the hands of Eli, the priest. And, and the Bible said that in those days, nobody really heard from God. It was very rare to find a prophet to heard from God. But in, in such a time of spiritual dearth God raised up this young boy Samuel. And by the time you come to the end of chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, you find that Samuel had been established a prophet of God in the land of Israel. A young boy. So much so that people knew that any word he spoke would always be fulfilled. He had learned to hear from God. And then you read as Samuel went on and established many, many schools of the prophets in other towns in Bethel and Gilgal and many other places. He established schools where he could train and transmit what he had received. But there was one failure. And unfortunately, it happened in his own house. In 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter, you read this tragic account. It says, First Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. What pushed the people to go after having a king over them? happened right here in Samuel's house. His sons failed to carry on the legacy of the father. Now, Samuel did what he could in the sense of trying to appoint them in as his successors. But he failed to transmit a legacy. Position, a role without the necessary spiritual equipping will not succeed. That's what happened here. So here comes his sons into a role that Samuel pushes them into, but he had failed to transmit spiritually into their lives. And it was very quick for them to fall and fail and go after dishonest gain and bribes and perverting justice. And the people said, we don't want your sons. Give us a king. Was Samuel a good man? He was. Was he a great judge? He was. Was he a great prophet? He was. But there was one thing he failed in. in Raising up another generation in his own house. And when you look at church history, and this is one thing I like to do, I like to observe individuals. I like to observe churches, and I like to observe movements in history, and also what's happening right now. like to see if they are properly stewarding the spiritual legacy that God is giving them. I like to see what happens after they go off the scene because success is incomplete without proper successors. And I've observed great churches. One particular church where God had raised this man of God and, and, and he was one of the pioneers in the healing and deliverance movement. In fact he was so powerful that when he had gone into the Philippines and God used him to unlock that whole island nation for the gospel through one powerful deliverance. There was a girl who was totally uh, insane locked up in seclusion and it was national news about this girl's condition but here goes this man of God and God uses him and encounter totally delivers and it goes all over the radio. It has such a powerful impact in that nation. I've been observing his congregation, his church, and and he had established a great church, and this is in the United States, established a great church, a great congregation. Unfortunately, after he left the scene, passed away, went home to glory, his sons took over. And they modernized the church, so much so that they went after all of the latest ways of doing church and forgot the core truth of what their father established in the church. Today, you don't hear too much of that, that core truth being taught in that church. It's got all the hypes and the hips and all the stuff, glamour of it, but it's missing. Very sad to know that this was once founded by a man whom God had used as a powerful missionary all over the world and unlocked nations through his life to see that very work he started today in such a state and a condition run by his sons. Unfortunately, not the way he started it. And so you observe men, you observe individuals, you observe movements, you observe churches and say, are they staying true? Are they growing in the legacy that God had entrusted and put upon them as individuals or as a church or as a local body? This past week I was reading from the book of Ezra. Sitting in my hotel room spending some time with God. I was in the third chapter of Ezra. If you know the story of the book of Ezra, it's an amazing, amazing story. We come in, the book of Ezra is, it comes in at a time when it was the end of the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. If you know Israel's history, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, had come in and invaded all of Israel. Taken them as captives into Babylon. He had totally ransacked and ruined the once beautiful temple of David. Built, of course, by Solomon. Solomon's temple, totally destroyed it and taken away all the utensils, the gold and the silver back into Babylon and set it aside for his own gods. And for 70 years, the people of Israel were in captivity in Babylon. And during that 70 year period, there's a political shift. The Babylonian empire is overthrown by the Persian empire. And here is a Persian king and this is the time and we read about Daniel and And uh, Esther. And these books were written during this time. And here comes Cyrus, the Persian king. And Ezra chapter 1 is so powerful. It's amazing what God can do. And one day we'll preach a message from Ezra chapter 1. About God being Lord over governors. Because here comes a Persian king. He knows nothing about Israel. Nothing about the prophecies. But suddenly he feels a stirring in his heart. And he issues a command. He issues an edict throughout his empire saying, I want all the Jewish people to go back to their own lands. A Persian king. And I want them to take back with them all the utensils that Nebuchadnezzar had brought out of their land. I want them to go back and I want them to rebuild their temple. And I want all my people to give them the the, the resources, the money... Deep, the the wood and the timber whatever they need I want my people to give it to them to go build their temple God how could you do this a Persian king never read the scriptures the Bible says God stirred up the heart of Cyrus and I believe that God can stir up the hearts of presidents and prime ministers and governors in our day also to do what he wants to do on the earth amen our God is so powerful. We just need to enlarge our understanding, our vision of what our God can do. That He can move up. It doesn't matter which president. doesn't matter which prime minister. doesn't matter which governor. There is a God above the governors of the world. And when He wants something done on earth, He can move upon their hearts. And make them speak things that their mind doesn't understand. Make them say things and do things that they would not understand. But they are fulfilling His purpose here on earth. You go ask Cyrus, did you know what you were saying? I don't know. I just felt a prompting inside me. I had to do it. And so the book of Ezra begins. The people of Israel go back to their land. And they get everybody together. Chapter 2 talks about all the the people. Who are different uh, areas from which they gather together to rebuild the temple. And chapter 3 is so astounding. Ezra chapter 3 verses 11 through 13. I'll just read that for you. They were getting ready to lay the foundation of this temple that had been destroyed. It says, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. I just read those verses and the presence of God just moved in so strong. I just started crying. I said, you know, I I just went back in time. I said, God, how would these old people have felt in that very, very a moment, a historic moment? They had seen Solomon's temple. They had seen it being destroyed before their very eyes. 70 years later, they stand in the same place and they see another generation coming and saying, we will lay the foundation. We will rebuild this temple. I said, God, I wonder what they must have felt. The Bible only says they cried. They wept. When they saw that a generation had risen. Who said, we will recapture what we once had. We will capture our legacy. We will go back to take a hold of what is our spiritual legacy. We will do it. And I said, God, I want that at All People's Church. I want to see young men and women. Who would say, yes, we want to capture, we want to recapture the spiritual legacy that God has put in the body of Christ. We don't want to do church as usual. We don't want to be church members. Who cares? We want to be a people who will lay the foundations. Who will recapture the glory that was once in the house of God. And take it to higher levels. And then pass it on to the generations that come after us. We want to be that kind of a people. I was moved to tears. The presence of God was so overwhelming. Just reading verse 12 and saying, God, this is what I want. Two years ago, 10th of February, 2008. I just picked it out of my journal. I had a vision in a dream. That means I was sleeping. But in the dream, I was having a vision. Where I saw myself transmitted in time. Back into the 1950s and 1960s. I was in a tent. Tent meeting. And I could recognize some of the men of God. Like Oral Roberts and A.A. Allen. And I was in their tent meeting. And it was so real. I felt myself crying on my bed. I don't know whether my wife heard me crying. But I could feel. I was crying in that vision. But it was so real. I could feel myself crying on my bed. And I was saying, God. What A.A. Allen had, what Oral Roberts had in those, those tent meetings where people would come and be healed. God, I want it. And the desperation, the cry for that was so strong. I felt myself crying on my bed. And then God spoke to me two things about those men. He said two things. They were men of their word and they were men of my word. I want you to be the same. They were men of their word. Their word was their bond. When they said something, they'd do it. And they were men of my word. They took my word really seriously. God said, I want you to do the same thing. If you want that kind of legacy, you want to inherit that, here's what you need to do. I would to God that there would be a, a stirring in our hearts, in our lives, to say, God, we want to recapture the glory that once rested upon the church. We want to be a generation. Who will lay those foundations. Of the temple. Time has gone. Yes it's gone. Things have been in ruins Spiritually speaking. Yes. I mean, we've got our bells and whistles. But you know who's interested in bells and whistles. We want the real stuff. We want the anointing of God. We want the glory. That once filled the temple. Can we be that generation. We'll recapture. The spiritual legacy. That one God had once entrusted to the church. And and this is my heart's desire for APC. For us to be more than just a local church with nice services week on and weekend. More than a community that has, you know, that hangs out together and does nice things. I want us to be a household of faith, Because that is the desire of God's heart. I want us to be a generation that will pursue the glory that once rested on the house of God bring it into our day, into our time. Be a people, be a household of God that will walk in it and carefully steward it on to the generations that come after us. I want us to establish a spiritual legacy that we can pass on after us. I pray that Isaiah 58 and verse 12 will become real to us. It says, those from among you will rebuild the old waste places. What has gone waste will be brought back to life, will be rebuilt. They will raise up the foundations of many generations. Many generations have come and gone and they have not experienced the true glory of God. They've been bound in forms of worship, in religious practices, and they're Christian religious practices, but they've never really tasted of the glory that God wants for His people. But it's time for a generation to arise who will build up the old waste places who will raise up the foundations of many generations for a generation will be called the repairers of the bridge and the restorer of the parts that we must be walking in will we be that generation will recapture the spiritual legacy that was in the church extend it take it to new levels and then pass it on carefully those who come after us. My heart's desire is to see some Abrahams. Some Moseses. Elijahs and Pauls. Who will rise up as spiritual fathers and mothers in this house. My heart's desire is to see. To look for some Isaacs. Some Joshua. Some Elishas. Some Timothys. Who will be spiritual sons and daughters. And saying I am willing. To inherit this legacy. And take it to new levels. Not for the sake of APC. But for the sake of the kingdom of God. To be a household of faith. We must take responsibility. To leave a legacy. Whether it's in your own home. With your own children. Or whether it's in the house of God. Proverbs 13 verse 22. And of course it's not. This verse is not necessarily in the context of spiritual things, but the point is clear. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14, the second half of that verse, the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Paul is relating to the Corinthian church as a spiritual father, and he says, you know, I'm not counting you to do anything for me. I, as a spiritual father, it's my responsibility to give you a spiritual inheritance. That's his heart for the Corinthian church. Hezekiah was an amazing king in Israel's history. He was the one who ushered in one of the greatest revivals Israel has ever known. When he became king, he restored the, the temple that was in ruins and brought back in that worship and everything. And there was, there was, he was one of the greatest reformers, spiritual reformers in the life of Israel in the history of that nation. But there is one very, very sad thing about his end. He had a wonderful time as a king and especially a great powerful impact spiritually. But towards the end of his days, he made one mistake. Which eventually led to the destruction of the nation. The Babylonians came as guests to Israel. You know, they had tourism even then. Now Hezekiah promoted tourism so much that he brought these people all the way into his palace and all the way into the temple. He opened up everything to these Babylonian guests. Very foolish of him to do that. Because once they left, God sent Isaiah, the prophet said, Hezekiah, what all did you show these people? Not that God didn't know it. But he wanted to say, wake up, Hezekiah. What all did he show these people? He said, God, I showed them everything, Hezekiah. Because you were not careful to steward a spiritual legacy. I'm telling you that these very people will come back and will take all this away. And Israel will go into captivity into their hands. They've seen it all now. But Hezekiah's response to it is very sad. In 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 19, Hezekiah responds and says to Isaiah, The word which you have spoken is good. For he said, Will there not be peace and truth, at least in my days? Isaiah said, You know, because you've exposed yourself, these people will come back. When your sons come to rule, they will come back and take this nation out. Hezekiah's response is, you know, at least God said, I will have peace in my days. He didn't care that what he did actually affected the generation that came after him. Very sad. He was so concerned, just, you know, as long as everything is fine and I'm in charge, it's good. I did something, somebody else pays for it, that's their headache. God forbid that we be such a kind of people in this house. Amen. God forbid that, that we say, you know, what we enjoy spiritually, as long as we enjoy it, and it's okay. And if we make some mistakes, you know, our children or grandchildren can pay for it. God forbid that we have such a heart. Not the same mistake that Hezekiah made. So this morning, I want to challenge you and me to become responsible. To leave behind a spiritual legacy for those who come after us. Start in your own house. As a part of all people's church. And I say all people's church. It doesn't matter what the name of the church is. But as part of the household of God. It's your responsibility to nurture, to leave behind legacy. Take it to new levels. Extend it. Make it better, stronger, greater, deeper and then pass it on to those who come after you. Proverbs 17 and verse 6 again not necessarily in the context of spiritual things but still worth looking at. says children's children are the crown of all men and the glory of children is their father. For all men Their crown is to see their children's children. That's their joy. But what about children? It says the glory of children is the Father. Meaning, the one thing that kids, even in their 20s, 30s, can really be proud about is their Father. Question is, are their fathers are their mothers? Are you being a father? Are you being a mother? That your children can glory in. Be proud of. Say wow. The greatest gift I had here on earth. Aside from my knowledge of Jesus Christ. Would be my father. Would be my mother. Can our children say that? The Bible says the glory of children. Is their father. And I also want to challenge. Younger generations. To take responsibility, to embrace our spiritual inheritance. It's not enough that one generation works hard and pays the price and labors intensely to inherit a legacy and extend it and take it to new levels and, and see it grow. We need young people, young men and women, who would say, I want that, I want twice as much. We need some Isaacs. We need some Elishas. We need some Joshuas. We need some Timothys in the house. Who would say, I want what is on this house. I want to take it to new levels. The revelation. The understanding of the word. The anointing of God. The miracle signs. I want it. I want it. And I want to take it to new levels. But I'm not talking about some kind of a whimsical fancy. That we show in a service. I'm talking about a responsibility that's willing to pay the price. I'm talking about a responsibility that's willing to pursue. That says, yes, I want what God has put in the house of God. and I want to take it to new levels. I'm willing to take it to new levels. Spiritually, in the word and the spirit. And it does not come without paying a price. Jesus said, the disciple is not greater than the master. If the master paid a price, the disciple will also have to pay an equivalent price, if not greater. Because if the disciple could get what the master got at a lower cost, then he's better than the master. But The disciple is not greater than the master. Amen? So younger generation, those in your 20s and 30s, I'm looking for you to become Elisha's. I'm looking for you to become Joshua's. I'm looking for you to become Timothy's. Young men and women who will pay a price and say, I want spiritual legacy. I want to take it to new levels. Because that's the heartbeat of God. I want to close with this verse. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. It's not on the slide, but I'll just read it anyway. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 10. What's it going to take for us to successfully pass on a legacy? I want to point us to this one verse. We could could spend days talking about this, but here's what Paul did with Timothy. You know, in order to successfully impart that spiritual legacy. 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love and perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. And he goes on. Just. How did Paul nurture his Timothy? It's right there in verse 10. He says, Timothy, I made myself transparent to you so that you could carefully see and observe my life. You heard my teaching, that's doctrine, but it didn't stop there. You also saw my manner of life. You saw how I lived. You saw My purpose. What I lived for. You saw my faith in God. Through the storms and through all the challenges. You saw my faith. My life of faith. You saw my long suffering. You saw my love. You saw my perseverance or endurance. You saw my persecutions. My afflictions. You saw me in every kind of situation. Timothy. You've had that privilege. That's why you are a Timothy. What's it going to take for us to be true fathers and mothers in the house? Live lives like this where we can bring aside some Isaacs and some Joshua, some Elishas and some uh, Timothys. And I'm using men's names, but it just doesn't have to be men. We need sons and daughters. So to bring aside, bring alongside such people and say, let's work together. My life is transparent before you. See me in all my weakness. See me in all my struggles. See me when I'm down and see me when I'm up. See me in my persecutions and see me in my afflictions and and you listen to what I teach and that's how we are going to nurture Timothy's in the house. Amen. The question is, will there be fathers and mothers who will do this? Will there be fathers and mothers who will bring us alongside some of the young man, some of the young woman and say, you know what? I'll give you the privilege of carefully following of carefully observing, of looking into, of seeing me in my teaching, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my persecutions, my afflictions, my trials. You can see it all. By the end of the day, I want you to be a Timothy. At the end of the day, I want you to be an Isaac. I want you to be an Elisha. Somebody who takes the baton and runs with it. Can there be some? Paul's, Elijah's in this house. Can there be some fathers and mothers? Can there be some sons and daughters? I want you as wherever you are, just to stand and respond to the Lord this morning. I believe this is the burden of God's heart. We ask the Lord for a greater manifestation of His glory. We ask the Lord for a great revival. We ask the Lord for great outpouring. The question is, are you ready to be a good steward of it? Make sure That you will pass it on to the generation that comes after you. Otherwise, why would he need to give it to us? I want us to pray as we're standing this morning. And just in your own heart, in your own words. Can you pray and say, Lord. I want to be a father. I want to be a mother. If you're 30 years younger. Say, God, I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter to somebody. Give me a Paul. Give me an Elijah. Give me a Moses. Now I'm just using men's names, but it doesn't matter. It's gender neutral. Oh God, I want to go after the legacy, the spiritual legacy that you released to the church, the body of Christ. The foundations are in ruins. Much of the body has lost it. But Lord, let there be some rise up, oh God, who would rebuild the foundations. Of the old waste places. Let there be those amongst us. O God who rise up. Who will restore Lord. The paths to dwell in. The ways in which we. The people of God must walk. Raise up O God. Sons and daughters. Fathers and mothers. In this earth. That's what God's looking for. Not just for church members. Not just for church attenders. He's looking for households. Of fathers and mothers. Sons and daughters. Who will properly steward. The word and the spirit. That he releases. And if God finds us faithful. I can tell you one thing. There is no limit to what he will release to us. There's no limit to the amount of anointing and the amount of revelation that He's ready to release to us. The question is, will He find us good stewards of a spiritual legacy that we can inhabit and transmit very carefully to the generations that come after us? It's never too late to start. The great apostle of faith, he began his life ministry in God at the age of 50. In 20 years, he he shook continents for the kingdom of God. So don't think you're too old. Don't think you're too young either. It all depends on your heart. And so, Father, this morning we in our own hearts we respond. To the burden of the Lord. We respond to what you're saying, God. You're looking for a household. Fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, who will steward spiritual legacy and transmit it on from generation to generation. A God in small ways, in simple ways, use each one, God. That we might talk of you when we sit down in our homes, when we rise up, when we walk by the way, when we lie down in our beds and when we wake up. In such simple ways, we'll be transmitting, we'll be stewarding your word and your spirit day by day. Oh God, may our lives speak. To the point where we can be transparent, we can open up our lives and people can see us. Not only in our teaching, but in our manner of life. In our purpose, in our faith, in our love, in our endurance, in the midst of our afflictions. So Lord, we pray once again that may all who come behind us, Lord, find us faithful. Father, we just pray that there will right now, Lord, be an impartation of the spirit to the life of this message into our hearts. May it not just be another Sunday morning homily, Lord, that we've just heard and okay, we go home and forget. But Lord, I pray you will put a hook in every heart this morning in the name of Jesus. There will be a tug on every spirit, Lord, saying yes to the call. Saying yes to the burden of your heart. Yes, I must live a life. That I must be a father or a mother in the house of God. I must be a son or daughter in the house of God. I have a responsibility towards a legacy. Towards what God is releasing to us. Towards the word of God. And towards the anointing of his Holy Spirit. Because God wants it to pass on from one generation to another Lord. I pray that this morning that you will do a deep work in our hearts by your spirit. Lord stir every heart stir every life of God this morning in the name of Jesus that there will be a pull in our hearts of oh God to say yes to the call of heaven God that we will say yes say yes to become Lord's spiritual stewards Lord stewards of the spiritual inhabitants stewards of the uncompromised word stewards Lord to the anointing of the Holy Spirit stewards of oh God to what heaven has entrusted man with and that we will not compromise it, God, with the ways of man. We will not adulterate it, O God, with the methods of man. We will not in- love it to be, Lord, uh, uh, turntied by the ways of man. But keep it pure. Keep the word pure. Keep the anointing pure. Build it up. Take it to new levels of glory. Move from glory to glory. And pass it on successfully. Pass it on to the generations that come after us. Oh God, may there be a call from heaven that we will answer to you this morning. And say, yes God, in my own small way, in my own little way. God, I will do it. Maybe for one, maybe for another, maybe for three or four people. But may you find me faithful, doing it to oh God, passing on heaven's inhabitants. To one, two, or three people. Oh God, this morning, move upon every heart. Move upon every life. Let nobody leave here without feeling the pull of heaven on their hearts. May nobody leave here, God, without feeling that stirring from heaven saying, I must say yes to this mandate from God. I must say yes to this call of God's heart. I must do this. I must do this. We thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for this morning, for this time in your presence. Lord, may your grace, may your presence linger on in our hearts, even as we dismiss. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.